Amen. You know, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord today. And uh, I'm glad that you all are here this morning. You know, this morning, uh, during the Sunday school hour, I was in uh, with the four and five-year-olds. I mean, man, what a hoot. Oh, you know, I just love serving, and it's a, it's a blessing because, you know, um, usually I can't serve right now because I'm doing something, but, um, you know, it's, it's a blessing to be back there and, and with those four- and five-year-olds, and uh, I had a blast, so if you haven't uh, signed up and want to be a part of that, uh, you still are able to do that, but speaking of service, um, I want to, uh, to all of our, our veterans... Uh, out there, I just want to say thank you for your service. And, um, you know, I would like to thank all of the veterans for their service to our country. You know, we sit in this worship center today in freedom because others have paid the price uh, to ensure our freedom. And, and we are so grateful for your valor, for your sacrifice, for your service to preserve and protect uh, our country's values. So thank you for fighting so selflessly to protect our freedoms uh, in the United States and the freedom uh, of vulnerable, pe- vulnerable people all over the world. And if you serve uh, in any branch of our military, I'm just going to ask you if you would stand for just a moment so uh, we can uh, acknowledge you and, and thank you for your service. You know, um, I was thinking about this recently, um, just with the, uh, uh, the, the latest hurricane that, that uh, kind of uh, touched on Florida there, and, and, uh, but I was thinking about Hurricane Ian, and uh, you know, Hurricane Ian uh, was tied uh, for the fifth largest, strongest hurricane to make landfall in the, in the U.S. Uh, the Category four, uh, 4 storm dropped more than 20 inches of rain on central parts of Florida, causing destruction and probably among the worst recorded. You know, Ian initially made landfall um, as a Category 3 storm on September 27th in Cuba, uh, leaving the entire island without power. At least 101 people have been confirmed dead. 92 in Florida, five in North Carolina, one in Virginia, and three in Cuba. I mean, just the, the devastating nature of this storm. Now, we're, we're glad that it's, it's passed, but, you know, with us, most of the time, it's out of sight, out of mind. But those rebuilding efforts are going to be long-term in Florida. You know, after Hurricane Ian, a meteorologist uh, explained how Ian had cleaned out the the atmosphere. And this really got me to thinking, you know, could cleaning out the atmosphere be part of the reason why, why God allows storms in the first place? I mean, what about, what about personal storms? Why does God allow storms to happen in our lives? I mean, could it be to clean the junk out of our lives? The things we really don't need? 
The things that have just kind of been hanging around in the atmosphere that need to be dealt with, that need to be taken out. Today I want to read in Mark chapter 6, and if you have your scripture and would open up to Mark chapter 6, we're going to read a a few verses. And uh, this is a story, uh, an account about Jesus coming to his disciples when they were on the Sea of Galilee in a huge storm. And, and uh, right prior to this, if, if you remember, in chapter 6, Jesus, uh, the crowds, were, crowds were, were pressing in on him, and um, they didn't have anything to eat. And so he, he asked the disciples to feed these people, and uh, he said, well, what do you have? And they said, we've got five loaves and, and two fish. And he took that, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he passed it out, and he fed 5,000 men, not even including women and children. And scripture tells us that they were all satisfied, that everybody had plenty to eat, and they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers, 12 doggy bags, 12, you know, a lot of extra bread and fish. And I think that's phenomenal. But here's what I want you to see, is the disciples didn't recognize the miracle of feeding 5,000 people with just this little bit. They saw it happen. What they didn't recognize is that Jesus is God. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. Right over the top. Wow, that was pretty cool that he fed all those people, but they didn't recognize him as being God. And so the, the, the crowd is pressing there. He, he compels them. He, he tells them they need to get in the boat and go to the other side, and he will meet them on the other side. He's going to send the crowds away and send them back home. And so they, they obediently got in the boat, and they began to cross the Sea of Galilee in this boat. And that's where we pick it up, okay? In verse 45 of chapter 6 in Mark, it says this. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Verse 47, while it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished. 
for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. But their heart was hardened. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you um, how you speak to us through your word. I ask that even now, Father, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to see the truth of your word. Father, that you would show us that Jesus is God. Father, I pray that you would reveal that to each one of us. And Father, that you would be glorified in that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work in each of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, we wonder why these storms come into our life. And, 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 and Mark's account of Jesus walking on the water can give us some guidance on this topic. You know, the first thing I want to put out there is this, is that Jesus watches over us even when we are unaware. Even when we don't think he's there, even when we don't think that he's watching, he is watching over us. He is watching over me. He is watching over you. You know, in verse 48, it says, seeing them straining at the oars. I mean, he was on the mountain alone. They were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, you know, oaring uh, the best that they could in this boat, but the wind was great. There was this huge storm that came up. And so they weren't making any headway. And if you've ever been in a boat and the wind is blowing so hard that you've got white caps and you don't know and you're not making any headway with or without the motor, it's a pretty scary proposition. Because you are at the mercy of the wind. And they're, they're, they're rowing with everything they've got. And, and, and the word strain there in verse 48 has the idea carried with it that, that they were being tormented. Okay, can you imagine? Probably feeling like, man, this is so futile. I feel like we're just going to die right here. You've probably been in situations like that. I mean, where was Jesus? Where was Jesus while his disciples were fighting for their lives? I'll tell you. He was watching them. He was watching them fully aware of what was taking place. Now, though they only needed to travel a short distance, the storm was so violent that despite all their efforts to control their boat, the storm had driven them nearly four miles out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And you think about this, it's like, it's like that's, at three, the, the fourth watch it talks about, that he came to them in the fourth watch of the night, being the, the, the fourth watch was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. They had been rowing all night. Probably like nine hours or something. They'd been rowing this boat, trying to get to the other side. Normally, they would have already been there. But they'd been rowing and straining for all of this time, and they were totally exhausted. I mean, they've been on, they've been on edge for hours now. And, you know, maybe today, maybe today, for reasons unknown, you are in the middle of a storm. Don't know how you got there. Jesus may seem like he is a million miles away to you. But in reality, he's standing on the side of the mountain watching you and looking at you, looking out for you. 
why does he wait so long to help? Why does he wait so long to help? I mean, why did he allow his disciples to go through all of this pain, all of this being tormented, if you will, before he intervenes? And, and, you know, I'm thinking about this and I'm, I'm asking the question, I'm asking myself, why does he wait so long? But folks, here's the reality. We must reach the end of our own strength before we will allow Jesus to take over. Because we think we can do it. We think it's all about us. And, you know, that, that man, my, my, my stuff is good enough. I can do this. I got this, Jesus, leave me alone. And we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. And, and, and you know what? Until we come to the end of ourselves, we will never recognize Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. It is only when we are totally exhausted. It is only when we are totally empty of ourselves that we come humbly and bow before and say, yes, Lord Jesus, you are Lord. You are my savior. Because the rest of the time, we think we got it. We think we're all that. And the thing is, 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 is nowhere in the account do you see the disciples praying. Nowhere in this account do you hear them crying out for Jesus. They just keep on rowing, doing things their own way, wearing themselves out. Oh, that sounds just like us, doesn't it? We do our own thing. Hey, I got this. I got this. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I don't need anybody interfering in my life. I got this, Jesus. Just let me live my life the way I want to live it. Oh, it's all about us. It was all about the disciples. They didn't get it. Now, seeing them straining at the oars, think about that. He's watching them. He cares for them. These are his people. These are the ones he has chosen. These are the ones he said, follow me. And they're just wearing themselves out. So what storm are you in? Are you trying to solve the problem on your own? Quit tormenting yourself. Quit wearing yourself out. Allow Jesus to get in the boat and take control. See, Jesus waits to intervene so that we will recognize him when he does intervene. See, in the middle of their storm, trying to do things their own way. <laughs> I love this. The phrase here says, in verse 48 at the end, it says, and he intended to pass them by, is better translated like this. He intended to pass their way. He wasn't trying to go by them unnoticed. He was trying to head toward them so that they would recognize who he was. Jesus was not passing their way without being seen. He was walking toward them. But here's the problem. <laughs> they didn't recognize him. They didn't even recognize the Lord. And as a result, they were terrified. They were afraid. Now, in Mark's 
account here, he tells us that uh, when they saw him, verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost. <laughs> they thought they saw a ghost. You know, they're, they're out there rowing. They've been rowing. It's, it's so hard. They're, the wind's pushing them and, and, and is against them. And, and they're trying this. And they look up and they see this, this ghost out there. You know, there was a local rumor, a, a legend, if you will, that, that the last thing a fisherman or a boatman saw on the Sea of Galilee before they died was a ghost on the water. What do you think is going through these fishermen's mind that grew up around the Sea of Galilee that had spent a lot of time there and heard these legends, heard these rumors from other fishermen that the last thing you're going to see is a ghost walking on the water. And here comes Jesus. And they were terrified. They thought they were going to die. They thought, oh my gosh, we're going to die. You know, and, and, and Mark tells us that when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost and they cried out because they were, when they saw him, because they were terrified. This is it. Tell my wife I love her. Oh, you won't be there either. I mean, right? They're all in the same boat. They're all going to die. And that's what they thought. And this brings us to the second significant point of this miracle, that Jesus always comes to us in the storms of life. He always comes to us in the storms of life. He knows where you are and he knows what you're going through. He knows the struggle. He knows that you're exhausted. He knows that you're, 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 you're grieving. He knows all of these things. And, and, and this is reminiscent of, of the words of God in Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 2, where he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. See, the Lord may not come at the time that we think he should come. Because he knows when we need him the most. He knows exactly when we will need him the most. And Jesus, Jesus had waited until the boat was as far as possible away from land. And when all their hope was gone, he came to them. See, in essence, Jesus was testing the disciples' faith. But see, when we're tested, it means that all of our human props are removed. And that's what we know what we're made of. We're either filled with faith or we're filled with fear. I see this because I've been right here where Jesus was, was testing the faith of his disciples. Are you going to trust me? It was the farthest thing from their mind to cry out to their Lord and Savior, Jesus. You think about this. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Why did he come walking to them on the water? Really to show that 
the very thing that the the disciples feared, (laughs) the raging, churning sea (laughs) was merely a set of steps to bring him to them. Often we fear the difficult experiences of life, such as illness, loss of our loved ones, financial hardships, only to discover that these experiences can bring us closer to Jesus. And these experiences bring Jesus closer to us. But we have to ask, why did they not recognize Jesus? Why did they not recognize him? I'm glad you asked. Because they were not looking for Jesus. Most of the time, we find what we're looking for. Most of the time in this life, we can find what we're looking for. They were not looking for Jesus. Had they been waiting by faith, they would have known him instantly. Instead, they jumped into the false conclusion that his appearance was a ghost. And the point is this, is that fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. Because our fear frequently blinds our eyes to the presence of the Lord. See, when we fail to recognize Jesus, we live in fear. We fear the worst. Because we fail to recognize who Jesus is. (laughs) He spoke this world into being. He is God. He is the one who who was raised from the dead for our salvation. He is the one who conquered the grave, who conquered death. He is the only one who has ever lived a sinless life. He is Jesus Christ. And because he humbled himself and emptied himself, even to the point of being obedient to go and die on the cross for you and me, Because he did that, God the Father lifted him up and gave him a name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, faith and fear cannot live in the same heart. When we have fear, we won't recognize who Jesus is. And then when Jesus does show up, it scares us even more. Do this. Do this. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm, when the winds of the world are pushing against you, watch for God to give you a glimpse of Jesus Christ. When you feel like all is lost, when you feel like I can't make another move, look, look for Christ because he is there and he is watching. 
See, if you see Jesus in a new light, then you will see your predicament in a new light. If Jesus helps you see your your predicament, your storm in a new light, then he has helped you in your storm. He comes to you, rather he walks to you in the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, when the winds of life are so pushing hard against you, he comes to each one of us. Because listen, the best spiritual insights, those that shape you and stay with you for your entire life, often come in the darkest nights. And the reason is, is because we're, we, we've come and we've exhausted ourselves. We're, we've come to the end of ourselves in that darkest of night. And you know what? It is there that we can see Jesus Christ. It is there that we see his provision for us. It is there that we see his, his grace, his mercy. <coughs> Excuse me. But notice in the middle of the storm, in the middle of their storm, In the middle of their fear, Jesus said to his disciples, take courage. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The disciples did not recognize Jesus. So he told them exactly who he is. He says, it is I. Literally, this reads... I am. Hmm. Jesus is using this emphatic personal pronoun that we remind his disciples of what it talks about in Exodus 3.14 when God said to Moses, I am who I am. Jesus is equating himself with Yahweh. He's saying, I am God. (laughs) They didn't get it with the, the deal, the miracle with the loaves and the fishes. Jesus was claiming to be God. And at this time, this very time, his disciples finally got it. They understood when he said, it is I. When he said, I am who I am. They got it. They didn't get it when he, when he fed the 5,000, but they, they finally got it when the storm died down (laughs) and Jesus is in the boat. It's like, whoo, oh man, he saved our lives. He saved every one of us. See, if you're happier for the smooth seas than you are for the opportunity to know and follow Jesus. If you're happier for the smooth seas than you are for the opportunity to know and to follow Jesus, then maybe there's some hardness in your heart. Maybe some resistance to Jesus and his mission. You know the Bible, at least some of it. But maybe you can't connect it to the the critical and crucial moments of your life. You see, but you don't perceive. You hear, but you don't understand. 
You experience life, but you don't draw the right conclusions. You don't get it. See, once you get it, that Jesus is God. The storm that you're in ceases to be a storm and it's more like a rain shower. It's actually refreshing because Jesus is there with you. Jesus helps us by not helping us, by showing you more of who he is and what he's here to do. But the bottom line is we are resistant. These storms come in and we say, wow, that sure worked out good. Wow, we got lucky on that one. We dodged a bullet there. Maybe Jesus is trying to get your attention. Maybe he's saying, you need to draw closer to me so I will draw closer to you. And we miss the point. We don't get it. We just think, why is this happening to me? What's going on? He passed by. It didn't help. He spoke. It didn't help. He shut down the wind. It didn't help. Maybe nothing has helped to soften your hardened heart. It's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't care where you are or what you're going through. He loves you. The problem isn't with him. The problem is with us. We have a hardened heart. And we've said, well, it's just him. It's just Jesus, whatever. And we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. We don't get it. So what now? Listen, until... You invite Jesus to climb into your boat and take the oars of your life. You will always, always, always be at the mercy of the storm. Every storm. I've walked this earth for almost 58 years. And if I didn't believe this with all my heart, I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing right now. But I know this, that when, when there's a storm in my life, the first thing I want to do is cry out to Jesus. To pray, to get on my knees and say, Lord, what's going on? What are you teaching me from this? You know, by the way, <laughs> in Mark's account here, we don't read about Peter getting out of the boat. Okay. You can read about that in Matthew's gospel. Now I'm not exactly sure why, but I think maybe Mark leaves it out because Peter is the one giving the account of the message and the miracles of Jesus in the book of Mark. Okay. Maybe quite possibly Peter has grown in some in humility and doesn't maybe want the attention or, or maybe it's because he doesn't want to be reminded that he got out of the boat, took a couple of steps, took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. See, I believe Peter gets a bad rap. I mean, say all you want about Peter. At least he got out 
of the boat. Other than Jesus, he's the only person I know that has walked on water. You know, as John Ortberg says, he says, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. And today, maybe the storms of life have blown you off course. But right now, Jesus is walking toward you. He's walking toward you. Recognize who he is. Recognize him. Recognize who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Allow him to come aboard and and, and the direction you are going in will become the destiny he has for you. For we know (laughs) that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He can take that storm and make something good out of it. He can take that that marriage and make something good out of it. He can take that illness and make something good out of it. We have to recognize who he is because not all storms that you face in this life are your own fault. Some some of them are. Some of the storms are self-created storms. We shoot ourselves in the foot. We do stupid stuff. We make bad choices. And because of that, we find ourselves in a storm. But not all storms you face in life are your own fault. And the only reason the disciples were in a storm was because Jesus made them, he compelled them to get in the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. He sent them on their way. The storm was not their fault. But there they were, right in the middle of their own hurricane. Oh, it was thrashing all about them. And Jesus used the storm to drive the disciples to himself so that they would recognize him. See, until we come to the end of ourselves, we will never acknowledge Christ as Savior and Lord. You know, hurting people are everywhere. The person sitting in the same pew you are in is hurting this morning. There is a storm in their life somewhere. And if we're truthful about it, we're all going through something. Some of you are going through maybe the the trauma of a divorce. Others are battling hurts that come from a a husband or wife that that drinks too much or or the parent that is manipulative or, or verbally abusive. The son maybe who's contemplating homosexuality or or the daughter who just moved in with her boyfriend. All of these things break parents' heart. It breaks those around us, their hearts. And they're brokenhearted over it and they're hurting. And, and we as Christian are, Christians are to find those people who are hurting and point them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to the one who has the power to heal. Bring them to the only one who can truly refresh, renew, restore their soul. See, saved or not, 
We all have hurts. We all have habits. We all have hangups. And we all need to come quickly to Jesus so that he can restore our soul. See, sometimes things happen in life which you have no control over. And we tend to think that the biggest problem that we have is the one that we are currently facing. But in the middle of nature's fury, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Jesus wants us to know that all of our answers can be found in him. All of them. You may not be able to control the situation, but you can control your attitude. You can control your reaction, how you respond. You know, as I wrap this up, I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up here. And they're going to lead us in a couple of more songs in, in a little bit. And I just want you to think about the storm maybe that you're in. You know, over 20 years ago, Dr. E.V. Hill, he preached a powerful sermon at a Promise Keepers event in, in Chicago on just two words. God is. God is. He said it over and over again. He whispered it. He shouted it. He illustrated it. He declared it. He proclaimed it. And he dared anyone to deny it. It wouldn't seem likely that you could preach that long on two words. But you could preach a lot longer when your topic is as profound as God is. Because once you settle in your heart that God is, a lot of other problems and issues that we have will be solved. Listen, faith and fear do not mix. They just do not mix. If you have too much fear, it will destroy your faith. And if you have much faith, it will destroy your fears. So allow Christ to fill your heart with faith. And then those things that you fear will disappear. They will subside. It may not be your fault, the the mess that you're in. But it will be your faith that gets you out. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for your word. Father, we seem so broken in our world.